Welcome to the Translate Your Doctor podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Figures. Today, I am not joined by my co-host and very good friend, Trey Sertish, who is working in his hospital, saving lives, solo Patrick Figures adventure today. But I am very fortunate to be joined by Miss Maggie Teleska, who we had on in season one of the podcast. Trey and I met Maggie through a Facebook heart failure group that she is administrator of. She is an incredibly sharp, incredibly impressive uh, person who by day works uh, full-time in the energy industry, very successful. And by night in her free time, she's uh, an advocate for people with uh, chronic conditions. She writes about uh, her healthcare journey and about how to navigate healthcare. Just a very impressive person to talk to if you're interested in patient advocacy at all. And Trey and I have really enjoyed getting to know Maggie and hearing her thoughts about patient advocacy and what she's seeing in the healthcare space. So Maggie and I got together for a short 20, 25 minute conversation about uh, healthcare advocacy. The focus being, of course, of our season on what's working in healthcare. So without further ado, we'll jump right into that conversation. I'm joined by Miss Maggie uh, Teleska. Maggie, a good evening, and thank you so much for joining me for uh, the Translate Your Doctor podcast. Thank you. Happy to be back here, back here for season two. Great, great. And Maggie Train, I know you through your work as co-admin for the Heart Failure uh, Support Group that we got connected into. But you've, you, yeah, through Facebook, thank you. But you do a lot of different things. So, so by day, you work in the energy energy industry. That's your actual profession. And then a lot of yep, your advocacy. Yep. And then yeah. a lot of your advocacy work is, is actually on the side. You do that as a, I hate to say a hobby, but as a sort of a, a personal side hustle. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's mostly at night and on the weekends. Like Sundays are usually my day to catch up on everything that I do outside of work and create content and uh, also moderate groups. That's right, because you're also a writer. I've I've read some of your pieces that you've that you've written. You write about about advocacy. I would consider it a passion. You say side hustle, but from what I see, really, it is a passion. It's something you put a lot of yourself yourself into. And what what's been for those that that didn't listen to our first episode when we talked a little bit a little bit about this? Do you mind giving people a, a bit of a history of how you transitioned into the the patient advocacy work that you do? Sure. So about six years ago, I experienced a pretty significant heart attack and, and realized after a diagnosis like that, you're, you're, you're alone. Even though you're surrounded by friends and family, it's a lonely place to be because while you have that support, they really don't understand or know what you're going through. So it has started with meeting somebody, I believe, an American Heart site. I can't remember and then we connected, we joined Facebook groups. And then after a while, there were some Facebook groups out there, but one, there wasn't one that really just fit heart failure patients. So I formed that with somebody else, another patient. And we've been doing that for, I, I believe it's about five years now. We have over 15,000 members. So that takes a lot of time. And it's been a great experience of meeting other patients because you can really get emotional support and feel less lonely, even in an online community. And since then, I've met up with several people that I've known through that Facebook group. And it's always good to get together. And we just understand each other. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the we got connected to you because when Trey and I were were looking to learn from patients and to just have a better understanding of the patient perspective, heart failure is one of Trey's passions, and that connected us into the into the group. And then we we found you and and developed this wonderful with you. The the last time we spent a lot of our time talking about 
the obstacles Trey and I felt that existed in medicine that really prevented patients from getting the advocacy they need as a matter of course. And that was obviously a, a very hot topic for the first time that we talked about this notion of, hey, the these Facebook groups shouldn't be necessary, but they are, right? They should be supplemental, not, you know, not a, this big value add. It's wonderful that they exist, but for every one person in your Facebook group, there are five people that, that don't have the support they need. And we, we delved into that. Right. For the second conversation, Trey and I approached you really with a more optimistic uh, mindset. And that's something he and I are trying to do a better job of. There's so many great things happening and great lessons that we've learned on the backs of a really terrible 24 months for many people involved in healthcare. And you are someone that we really value the perspective of, and, and you have a, a very interesting outlook on what is working in healthcare, especially coming off the backs of COVID, because you're approaching it from so many different angles. Right. We asked you about what what some of your perspectives uh, were. You're, you're involved, or you mentioned these, these two large advocacy agencies that you've had some involvement in and, and yeah. some things that they're doing. We'd, we'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Sure. So when you mentioned you read my writing, that's with Health Union, and they, they're a company that out of Philadelphia that just fosters patient engagement through communities and online forums. So what they did is they went out for each of their, I think they have over 30 different health-related websites and forums, obviously part of the heartfailure.net. They recruited patients, caregivers, and those in the medical profession to contribute. So what we do as part of that program is we write articles, which you've read. I obviously write from the patient perspective. And then we moderate forums that they've also set up that people are either responding to our articles or just asking general questions. It's different than the moderating of my Facebook group because we really try to touch every single person that hits that forum and asks something just, you know, to know that they're not alone and and that we're listening to them and we're interacting with them. So they've been great. They have monthly meetings for us to network. They have monthly instructional videos on writing, on moderating. Even last year, during COVID, they sent us painting supplies and we had a Zoom painting party where they had a guided picture for us to paint, but I painted a heart. Somebody else painted lungs. I thought it was pretty cool. So, But they've been great. And they just merged with WeGo Health, which I've also been a part of for quite a few years now. Oddly enough, I worked in a uh, co-working space in downtown Boston and they were headquartered there. And I always knew of them. I didn't know what they did, but they really provide a platform for organizations to get patient perspective. And with that, they provide a lot of training for patient advocacy and then also opportunities to connect us with different opportunities, just again, to get the patient perspective. And I was happy that both of these organizations recently merged and it was in the news, which I was happy about too, which means that patient advocacy organizations are getting some media and getting into the media. So that's always a good thing for us. And just, just for anyone that might be interested in looking it up, it's W E G O we go health. We go health. And then the yeah. first one you mentioned that you do writing for is health union. Those are yes. the two organizations. Yep. Yeah. That's something that, that Trey and I've heard talked about a lot and that he and I've mentioned this idea of patient advocacy. Cause there's, there's two types of patient advocacy, right? There's, there's what you're doing, with the heart failure support group, which is patients helping patients. But then there's also patient advocacy where you have patient advocates within healthcare organizations. Mm -hmm. And what you hear about at these large healthcare conferences is the need for the patient perspective to be more felt. 
because I think one of the shadows of our healthcare system, especially because it's so easy for there to be these big financial incentives in healthcare, because healthcare is a two and a half trillion dollar industry in our in our country, so you can make a lot of money as a healthcare organization. But no one, I, I hope, I believe, gets into healthcare to make money at the expense of patients. But it can be easy to lose sight of that because you you think of patients as this sort of uh, nameless, faceless, the patient as this just you know blob. Yes. But these are all individual human people that that have stories, that have pains, and and every patient that we fail as healthcare providers is often a, a very tragic and a very unfortunate. Uh, incident, especially because so much of healthcare is still so fragmented and fractured. I'm sure you have about a hundred stories of of how hard it is to get your records transferred places because of yes. <laughs> all the different healthcare things you've had going on. And I really love this idea of how do we get more patient voices in healthcare boardrooms and healthcare committees? How do we get more patient advocacy again in these key uh, decision-making rooms? Yeah, I was at a conference, gosh, a couple of years ago in Philadelphia. I, I, the name escapes me, which maybe it's because it's Sunday night, but it was all about the patient and the pharma experience. And there were several several patients there that were part of patient boards for other diseases. And they talked about how beneficial it was because a lot of times companies will make things for us without asking us. And in fact, one patient advocate got up there and, and the topic of the talk was stop making us these expletive apps because we're not using them. Um, so it was kind of a, a, a fun experience for me. But at that conference, I met somebody from a company in San Francisco that's developing some treatment options for heart failure. And she's her and I kept in touch. And they have now put together, which I think is the first heart failure patient advisory board. So we started in January. There's a group of maybe a dozen of us, a lot of from the, the Facebook group I run, patients, caregivers, and also medical professionals. And we're helping them with the information that they'll eventually get out to patients. And it's been an amazing experience because we know that they're listening to us and we're providing the content that patients want to hear, especially with new treatment options. Yeah, it's, it's very simple things. I'm sure you've, you've had this happen before where... Um, it's really easy for healthcare providers and healthcare entities to speak on behalf of the patient without ever actually asking patients or asking people any questions, right? We make these apps never having stopped to say, anyone asking for this? Does anyone want this? It's the sexy thing to do, right? right. Oh, it, it seems very sexy to start an app and that seems to be what all the cool kids are doing, so that's what we wanna do. And to your point, you have these patients that are just saying, Hey, if you could just figure out how to share my records, that'd be great. I don't need yes. you to develop an app. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 amazing. You know, we've talked or I've heard you talk before about improving outcomes, and I can't think of a better way to improve an outcome by improving the input and the information going into the product. I, it just right. blows my mind that they're not asking patients more. I yeah. <laughs> yeah, it it, it um... Back to my head. <laughs> yeah, this is you and I are both are both married, and something that my wife and I talk about is you know sometimes I don't ask my wife questions when I'm really afraid of what she might say, right? <laughs> so it's a lot easier to just go, you know, if I asked her, she might say something I don't want to hear. So maybe I just like blindly charge ahead, and it a little bit feels like that sometimes. That if I true. ask the patient, they might tell me something I'm not prepared to hear. It's safer to just sort of hear no evil and just blindly charge. <laughs> I want to call your baby ugly, but <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
the yeah it's it's it it's unfortunate that that happens so much do you i'm curious what you've seen we're 24 months into this this sea change with covid you've got this really fascinating perspective through all the advocacy work that you're doing all these conversations that you're a part of what are some of the things that you've seen change or, or, or any big sort of shifts that you're sensing in terms of, of this the advocacy space or the support space? Anything that, that comes to mind that you, you're interested in, excited about, curious about? From the, you know, the support group, there was a lot of fear and hesitancy and also just going to virtual visits was hard for a lot of us. It's not the same, even though I felt like we had more time with our physicians in a virtual space. It's not the same, although I know they were doing their best. We were all doing our best for these unforeseen circumstances. I saw a lot of fear with getting the vaccine. Obviously, that's a hot topic. It shouldn't be political, but it is. And right now, I still see some hesitancy to get the vaccine, despite mm. what caregivers are, or their uh, doctors are saying to patients. We did see a rise in people coming into our group during COVID. And I don't know if that's because they needed a place to vent or it was just more people found us. You know, there's that natural upward curve with, with any group. So I think right now still we're seeing a lot of fear. It's scary when you have a compromised organ, especially your heart, to know that a flu can take you down and, and, and cause havoc. So a lot of people looking for more information. And I I think also we didn't know a lot about the virus. Even my own care team didn't know a lot about the virus. It came on so fast that we were all just digging for information. And then obviously access to the vaccine and, you know, how is that going to happen? At one point I had, I'm also a Women Heart Champion. So my first event, I had my cardiology team come to the Facebook group and give a, a talk on what they knew at that point. For COVID-19. And it was really interesting. You know, they, they gathered up whatever they could and answered all of our questions as best they could and as best they could not, you know, being that my member's physician. But I think that just people got scared and then, you know, came online to, to look for information. So I think I just saw more people looking for information and also freaking out. We're always honest with each other. And yeah, I'm scared. I don't want to, you know, I don't want this to be the end of me. Yeah. That's very well said. Two things you highlighted there that, that I think I'm very bullish, optimistic about the use of virtual care. Mm -hmm. I don't think virtual care is a replacement for in-person care, obviously. And I think that we do virtual care a disservice when we, we pretend like it should be a replacement. You no, know, I don't think we're anywhere near to being able to replace stethoscope and, and all the, the sort of the touch that's involved in healthcare with these virtual services. But what I know that virtual has done, and I saw this with the doctors that I worked with at the primary care practice I managed, was virtual really did force the physicians to think very differently about what they were doing with the patient. Because physicians who are used to kind of, I can breeze in and breeze out a little bit, physicians used to spend five minutes with the right. patient. And when you're doing a virtual visit, there, there isn't all this other stuff that you're doing that you used to fill the visit with. Well, now, instead of you know height, weight, blood pressure, all these other things that on, for a follow-up visit, well, now it's actually 15 or 20 minutes of just face-to-face -face conversation. And, and so right. you can actually expand and talk more about, well, what are you feeling emotionally? And right. what are things like? And is, are you in a good environment? And maybe we should talk about these uh, social determinants of health right. type things. And so some of the doctors that I used to work with reported actually better relationships with their patients because they had more time 
right. in that virtual visit to just focus on relationship type issues because the physicians felt like, well, I got to do something with this time. I got to make the patient feel like they're getting value out of this virtual time since I'm not able to do the things I used to be able to do. Right. Right. And my, my hope for them is that when we're back to, let's call it normal, that they're able to retain these new skill sets that they built in the same way that like, I'll never be afraid of doing a Zoom meeting ever again, right? COVID forced <laughs> all of us to right. get very comfortable doing Zoom. My hope is that it will also force physicians to get comfortable with this different skill set and maybe to an extent patients right. with that visits might look a little bit differently with their, with their physician. Absolutely. Because when you walk into a physician with a list of questions, sometimes they sigh, oh, you're one of those. Those aren't my doctors anymore. <laughs> but, you know, you know, I did have a couple of virtual visits and, you know, it was great. It's um, even my EP, her cat kept jumping up on her shoulder. It was kind of fun as my cat was like just sleeping because she sleeps, you know, eight hours a day. But um, it was, you know, and I, I, you're right. I, I did get to know my EP a little bit better. You know, normally we're in and out, you know, they just were download my data and, and we're off. So the the other piece that i think so side note actually before um we get off that because you, you said something that always um triggers me in a good way it, it is so funny how we don't do a good job of equipping patients on how to um answer their own questions but yet we like challenge them to take like personal responsibility and so said a different way doctors a lot of doctors that i worked with said well, well patients i can't do everything for my patients my patients need to be self-sufficient my patients need to figure these things out on their own i can't hold their hands mm -hmm. and then you have people like maggie teleska who's doing research and i'm taking my illness seriously and i'm very engaged and i have questions and I have like done my own research. And then of course we, we get mad at those patients because they're, well, they're second guessing the doctor and they're questioning my, questioning my clinical judgment. It's like, well, which one is it? Do you, do you want the patient to take personal responsibility or do you want them to just never ever question anything that you ever do? Yeah. You can't have it both ways. No, and that's why, you know, this particular doctor that I treated me right after the heart attack is no longer my doctor. Absolutely. So. Good for you. Yeah, that's absolutely yeah. right. And they yeah. have to enable us, enable us and make us feel comfortable. That's something that my current care team makes me feel comfortable to ask questions. And then they empower me to know, here's what you should do. If you don't feel right, here's the steps. You know, I have a whole protocol I go through when I'm not feeling well to determine what course of action I take. And that's yes, a, that took a long time, but... And, you know. And what you highlight, and we've talked about this with your group, and when we've done the the, the AMAs with your um, heart failure support group, we've talked about this, that it's really unfortunate that there are some patients where it's relatively low stakes. You might not have the best physician, but your stakes are relatively low, so maybe it's okay. A lot of the people in your support group have very high stakes. Right. You're not right. having the right physician. That might be a life or death decision Absolutely. that's that's made and so having the ability to know is this the right person for me is this the physician that's really going to take the time to think about me when i'm not in the room and that's one of the tray tests for is this a good doctor is does this doctor think about you when you're not in the room are they really putting the work in and the effort in not just when you're right in front of them but right before the visit right after the visit like really trying to go the extra mile for every patient, which is hard. It's very hard on those doctors, but those doctors do exist. Trey is one of those, uh, one of those doctors. So I love that you brought that up because that is something that I think everyone in your support group and everyone with a life altering illness, they really do have to think very carefully about who, who is on their care team. 
Yeah, I'll just say I had a recent accident. Well, three months ago, I'm on my 12th week. I fell down my stairs and broke my ankle, <laughs> dislocated. It was completely warped. Oh. Husband oh. was in San Francisco. I'm on the oh, way no. to you know, the ER, an ER that's outside of my system. And I was on the phone with my cardiologist because I thought for sure I was having surgery that night. And I needed her input and in, in all of that. And she was with me. The you know I think I finally got off the or you know we were back and forth because I was there for about seven hours and it was nine o'clock at night. And I said, all right, surgery's next week because I have to go off blood thinners. I have to do all this other stuff. But you know I, I have a good cardiologist, thankfully, because I I had never been through major surgery. And, you know the pacemakers. I think not right. a major surgery. This was the first time. Right. Going under general anesthesia. I mean, I was terrified. I was like, I can't do this. I'm a heart failure. But everything worked out and. Luckily, the surgeon, apparently there are a lot of his patients with heart failure due to their age. Mm. <laughs> so he was well informed about my situation, went down the list with me. And that's why I stayed right. with him, even though he was outside of my general network. network yeah. Because I, he knew it and he made me feel comfortable. Yeah, back to trust, right? And, and you, right. you have a good nose for that now, unfortunately, because you've had so many care experiences. But it's, I think it's, it, it's made you a good judge of character, so to speak, with, with providers. Right. The, the, the other point I was going to make earlier is I was hoping in a way that you would say that you felt like there had been more engagement within the support group because one of the things that I also think isn't going away is the focus on behavioral and mental health coming out of COVID because right. I know that I've experienced a, a, an increase in my stress level. I've seen lifestyle changes for me just to cope with that in terms of, of I, I've tried to lose weight and I've tried to work out more. I've tried to take more control over my mental and emotional well-being as a result of the stress from COVID. So for patients that are immunocompromised, COVID is a really big deal for them, right? Because for someone that's dealing with heart failure, I mentioned it to a patient before, it, it's mourning, right? You're, you're dealing with this idea of my life will never be the same. I, I have a much higher risk of having these bad outcomes. Oh, and here's this pandemic rolling through uh, the country that's adding on top of that my sense of, you know, if I get COVID, I'm immediately in this high risk category. And I'm encouraged that it, it seems based on what you mentioned that there are more people coming into the group and getting the great support that your group provides. Because I think the superpower for groups like yours is it's the emotional and mental part of your your illness journey your sick journey that your group is designed to to be there for right and to help patients not feel so lonely because i think also with covid and having to quarantine nobody had patient or nobody had interaction with anyone that can be very lonely on top of you know just being lonely for a diagnosis that no one else understands yeah yeah the how do you think about in terms of the the life after COVID and you know, mental and emotional support, are you seeing the, the role of your support group changing at all and all these virtual tools? How do you think about the next 12 months for the sorts of things that you're doing with the uh, the heart failure support group in terms of the, the evolving needs of the folks that are on your uh, involved? You know, we're still just keeping to the same rules. We've had to get rid of some some conversations that turned 
unfortunately poorly or aggressive or so we, we've had to put some new keyword searches in just or keyword alerts they are on Facebook. I plan to write a little bit more about getting back out in the world for Health mm. Union. You know, once I travel again, I'm hoping it well, my ankle is going to dictate when I can travel again now, but I would like to get out to one of our power generation sites to see it, you know, on site. I just have to wait. But, you know, I plan to write a little bit more about getting out there now after COVID, even with a with heart failure or just other topics. I mean, you know, I've been out without a mask. I am vaccinated. You know, it's been great. It's been kind of freeing. And I try to just, you know, get out and walk as much as I can. I, I'm still, remember I talked about walking in Walmart against the cart. I'm doing that now with my ankle again, because I, I can lean on the cart and it's it's helpful. So just like after my heart attack, Walmart seems to be my, my in-store treadmill. It's a go-to spot, yeah. <laughs> That's great. But yeah, I'm hoping to provide more support there. And also, you know, I know you guys are going to come back in to give another talk and, you know, perhaps my uh, cardiologist and her team just post COVID, you know, providing those types of resources for anyone that's interested. So, you know, I just see more opportunities for more content generation. And then, you know, unfortunately, we have to moderate a little bit differently sometimes too, because some new topics came up that were polarizing. Yeah, yeah, that's, I appreciate that uh, a lot. The, yeah, I'm hopeful that this focus on like behavioral health can bleed over from the work that you're doing in the support group into the larger uh, environment. Like I mentioned before, you know, having a more focus on mental and emotional well-being with these virtual visits, I'd like to see that as more of the regular curriculum, so to speak, with the average physician. I think every physician, every cardiologist should be referring their heart failure patient or their chronic disease patients. Life-altering, lifelong illness, that patient needs to be connected with a group. They need to have the option, and a lot of patients still just don't know that that's out there. So I, I'm, I continue to be hopeful. Patients will be pointed to groups like the Facebook group, especially now that people are more comfortable doing things virtually. I mean, we, you've probably got 70 and 80 year olds that are trying to figure out how to engage oh, virtually. Again, that this is relatively new, past five to 10 years where, where these things are more mainstream, but because everyone can be connected now, there, there's no physical limitations. You can have people in small towns that might not have a, a lot of access to traditional resources really engaging with your group. So that's my hope is that you, you just continue to see your membership or we continue to see other you know, like-minded support groups grow and fill that gap that, that I think traditional providers still haven't figured out how to fill yet. And as part of the Women Heart program, it's been nice to have online webinars because we can have people from outside the the regional areas where we're set up. And I was supposed to, before COVID, be able to go to the hospitals and, and meet patients as part of Women Heart. I'm hoping to do that someday. I don't know how feasible that's going to be, but that would be nice to be able to get out and, and tell people about Women Heart and that we have you know support groups, whether they're in person or virtually. Yeah, that's great. Oh, well, Maggie, this was a, we're right at our time. Time flies, uh, and you and I could do this. I always, every time we talk, I, you you present threads that I wanna that I wanna tug on and keep the conversation going. So we are, as always, definitely gonna have back for another check in. I'm a little worried that uh, to leave you off on your own because I feel like we let you go and you get injured. So I'm a little nervous <laughs> to leave you off, and I for sure we're not letting your husband go to San Francisco. Uh, no, again. we're. 
our next our next purchase will be a ranch style house with no stairs. There we go, no stairs. I could leave one PSA. Beware of stairs. My Ooh. life changed in a second. Oh my goodness! And always be wary. I had surgery. I have a new titanium. I'm super expensive now, but the recovery has not been easy. Maggie Teleska, thank you so much for uh, joining us. We'll have Trey with us uh, next time, and appreciate as always the great work that you're doing with the with the support group and the knowledge that you're uh, you're sharing with our audience here. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks. And once again, thank you so much to Maggie Teleska for joining me to talk about uh, what's working in healthcare, what she's seeing and optimistic about for the future. Once again, to all of you, thank you so much for giving Trey and I a chance to make an impact on you and your healthcare journey. If you liked what we talked about here today, if you're enjoying what Trey and I are putting out, please consider liking, please consider subscribing, please consider leaving a comment. If you'd like to pass something along with Trey and I directly, you can reach us at www.translateyourdoctor.com. You can reach us at translateyourdoctor at gmail.com and we will catch you next week. Have a good one.